I look back at like, what is the psychology of me today? What are the actual consequences of really, I would phrase it and not to like indict anyone in my culture, especially my family or parents, but the gaslighting of having it, raising a child that way and that they will be rewarded for betraying themselves, abandoning themselves and denying their own reality. When I left, I had a thing that I said, it was like my whole life. Everybody had said the sky was red and I could see that it was blue. But you please everyone by saying, okay, yeah, it's red. You know, and what are the psychological effects of that? Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Natalie Q. She's a podcaster and a writer and a certified life coach. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much, Ronit. I'm so honored to be here. I am really happy that you're here. So, Natalie, when I think about what I know about your story, there are so many aspects to it that I find new and different from the experiences that I've had or that people close to me have had. And so, It's hard as someone who's interviewing you for me to even know where to begin, but I want to share your story in as much depth as we can. So can you give a little bit of background to the listeners about how you grew up and what church you were raised in? Sure. And thank you for that. That was really generous and and open. I love the way you opened that. I was raised in, in Utah, in Utah County. So that's like 45 minutes south of Salt Lake where... Salt Lake is typically known to be like 60% not Mormon and 40% Mormon. But -hmm. these counties to the north and south are like 90, 95%. So that's where I was raised. And I was in the church and had four sisters and really just being like, it was a little confusing. It's it's a pretty dogmatic religion, but you just kind of go along with it, right? Mm -hmm. And I went to college, met the man I would marry. And all of that was sort of like destiny. You're really Mm -hmm. meant to get married young, get married in the temple, meet your person that you're going to spend eternity with and do that. So I met him in college and got married as a virgin at 21 and just really felt like life began. And it was exciting. It really was. Were you, where are you in the birth order, Natalie? Second of five girls. And did you growing up, when you think about your different sisters, where did you fall in terms of belief and devotion and doubt and faith and things like that? That's such an interesting question. I think we were all really devout and it was a like synergistic family that way. And you can see it in the juxtaposition now, they're all in and I'm out and that's Mm. really different. But at the time, I think everyone questions because there's some really dark things about the theology racism, racist Mm. past. They have this part of their theology that is the men have what they call the priesthood. And they didn't allow people who were black to have it until the 1970s. And I think everyone has a problem with that and a problem with the polygamy elements of Mm. the past. And everyone has doubts, but it's kind of like all roads lead to belief. And all like you might have a doubt and you explore it for a minute, but it's so psychologically difficult 
to take an honest lens to it because it's a family religion. You're all not just participating in this life, but you're going to heaven together. You're sealed as a family. So there's really no great moment Mm -hmm. to be totally intellectually honest with yourself because Mm -hmm. you will lose a lot to do that. So would you say that compliance and faith came easily to you? It's such a weird, trippy thing to like look back now that in my, like I'm doing air quotes, I figured it out, (laughs) you know, and I have this freedom that I can believe things about it with an intellectual honesty. I can not have to revere Joseph Smith. I can look at him as a person and what he actually did and assign the weight to that, marrying a Mm -hmm. 14-year-old girl, stuff like that. But at the time, Again, a two, like bring a lens, if you can, in your mind's eye thought experiment, imagine that 95% of the people that you know on the planet are also believing it. There's like your intuition speaking, but the group think is just so dominant. It's inescapable, no matter what your inner intuition was kind of hanging at. And also there's a lot of like your parents giving you love and being proud of you is tied into getting baptized, different milestones, reading your scriptures. So Mm -hmm. it's just really, I look at these ones I left when I was 29. I look at these ones that maybe figured it out at 16 or 18. Mm -hmm. I know a few people like that before they made every major life decision, but Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I just was going along with it and Mm -hmm. being as happy as I could really. But I Mm -hmm. look back, I actually, this is why it's, such an interesting question too. I look back at like, what is the psychology of me today? What are the actual consequences of really, I would phrase it and not to like indict anyone in my culture, especially my family or parents, but the gaslighting of having it, raising a child that way and that they will be rewarded for betraying themselves, abandoning themselves and denying their own reality. When I left, I had a thing that I said, it was like my whole life, everybody had said the sky was red and I could see that it was blue. But you please everyone by saying, okay, yeah, it's red, you know, right. and what are the psychological effects of that? So your question just like really reverberates. And the, I mean, we could just spend a whole afternoon of cocktails of like mm-hmm. what, how that informs me today and what that experience was really like to live through. And still never really totally understand it. Right. And that helps me understand it. And I think it's hard to understate the significance of a family and community being tied up in the faith because it's not leaving a faith, it's leaving everything. Thank you for acknowledging that truly. And I mean, there's people who work for Mormon companies and then go through an apostasy event. There's So your livelihood is tied into it. Your familiar, familial your social constructs, you know, everything rewards you to not question it and do what I did, Mm -hmm. you know, because you will, you you will. This was 10 years ago. I still have consequences of it every day. Uh Okay. So you get married at 21. 21 virgin. My husband had done a mission to Korea. So I, I was really lucky in this way. We moved to Seoul a year and a half later. I was already pregnant at 22 had a baby in Seoul at 23. We moved to Taipei the next year after my baby was a year old. And um, I got, I was pregnant with my son there and moved home. So we spent three years in Asia. 
came back home to Salt Lake City for a year and then we moved to Australia. And we had been in Sydney for two years and we moved to Melbourne. And that's when sort of the shelf broke, I guess is mm-hmm. the phrase that a lot of um, not just ex-Mormons, but like ex-Jehovah's Witnesses and things where like all of these really kind of dogmatic, interesting, unique aspects of the religion that you have to believe to stay sort of like one more thing gets placed on the shelf for you not to acknowledge and the shelf breaks. Mm-hmm. And it's a real, a lot of people really want to know why or what it was. It's so deeply, um, like I have, I have to explain like the entire premise of the religion, but I'll do my best to like. Yeah, um, no, I, I'm here for it. And I also, up until this point, just as a little bit of background, you're a new mom, you have two little ones mm-hmm. and is the marriage going okay at this point? Mm, we'd had some really difficult struggles. A lot of people will ask me, like, was your marriage arranged and stuff like that? I'm like, well, it certainly doesn't feel like any of my life, not just my marriage was, hey, you could go to school, you could get a job, you could be president, you could be a lawyer. (laughs) It was like, you will be married, you will get married in the temple, you will have children immediately. And that's all you will ever do. Mormon women are extremely shamed to work. It's a very patriarchal it's the patriarchy Mm -hmm. like embodied um and misogynistic religion and a very racist religion a lot of people can't you can't see that when you're in it you don't sit there and go what are you someone hearing this like my mom anyone would be like what are you talking about Mm -hmm. you don't identify that you're part of perpetuating racist Mm -hmm. patriarchal systems that marginalize people i will say that but Mm -hmm. that's just the truth Mm mm-hmm um, what was the question that we're, so, yeah. So you're traveling, you're following, I assume your husband is working in Australia or doing mission work in Australia, yeah. right? Oh, you asked about my marriage. Yes. My marriage had a lot of troubles, just some stuff that's really silly now that was like, if he wasn't living up to some of the standards, like really having a lot of fights about that and other, you know, we never had alchemized any of our wounds. We never had done any healing journey on our traumas from our childhood. So, and there was a lot of unconsciousness. So the marriage had been really fun and good, I think for the, about the first five years. And then it had been a real struggle for three years. This event happened when I was 29. As I said, I'd been married eight years and my kids were five and three. So long story long. <laughs> I I, wait, Natalie, I specialize in long story long. Yes, me too. This is <laughs> tell you a short story like I got the gift of gab and a goddamn <laughs> audience like let me flap my gums please Jesus. <laughs> um, so I was just immersing myself in the church in Melbourne I uh, was at mommy playgroups with other Mormons and this one said hey you know there's another American I bet your backyard backs up to hers which was rare because in Utah like the geographical you know, wards they're called is like a parish mm-hmm. are really tight, you know, because everyone's Mormon where this was Australian, this would be like five suburbs are in a ward mm-hmm. or parish. So this was really weird that we both lived in this little town called Warrandite. And she had left the church. And anyway, I called her. She was a stranger. I didn't know her, but the church put me in touch with her. And now I can tell they wanted me to reactivate her. But instead, oh. I got here. Kind of like, I, the first hour was like, hey, I'm surprised you called. And I'm going, and that's what I'm saying. She's saying to me and I'm saying, oh, I'm not like that. Like I'm open, like 
it's okay, wherever your testimony is at, because the church had let me know that she was inactive. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, do you, you don't go to church anymore. Like, do you wear tank tops? Cause you're not allowed to wear tank tops. You have to wear like an undergarment that cover, like has sleeves. So you wouldn't have been allowed to wear that. And just all these dumb shit questions. Do you drink coffee? Do you take the Lord's name in vain? And then the second hour was her talking about how she had left the church three years before and her husband left as well. And the she had three kids, the two youngest left, but the oldest one was at BYU and she felt like the church was really in between their relationship and guiding and steering her and influencing her, which this was at a marriage age, which means she's going to get married in the temple and then the parents are going to be made to wait outside unworthily, which is like a thing. If you get married in the temple, only people who are like in that temple club can be in there. And people like me that I've left the church and her aren't allowed in. And it's almost like Mm -hmm. a, purposeful public shaming. Again, that's not what Mm -hmm. the church would say the intent is or what the members would believe, but that's how it feels when it's done Mm -hmm. to you. And like Jesus would never make some kind of celebratory event about love and the union of two other people and have it like sneeches with stars on bellies of have and have nots. Like you're allowed in to celebrate and you're not, Mm -hmm. you know, you're unworthy. So it's kind of my thoughts about it. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so then the third hour, I just had the boldness to ask her why she left the church. And that's a really interesting question because so few people who are believers have ever even asked me that question because yes, you won't ask something you're not psychologically prepared to hear the answer to. So that Mm -hmm. question is ubiquitously, uniformly, unilaterally asked of everyone else because they have no skin in the game. But mm-hmm. I could count my, my own immediate family has hardly asked me. Hmm. And so it's pretty interesting. So yeah. a lot of friends or, or family. But what she told me was, okay, again, basically the premise of if the Book of Mormon is true, there's these um, this family that left Jerusalem in 600 BC. And the premise of the whole religion is that they sailed on a boat to the new Americas and they settled the American continent and they're the answer for like why the American Indians exist, which is crazy. So they went and did, you know, tested every tribe from Alaska to Chile looking for Hebrew Hebrew blood in these Mm -hmm. indigenous peoples, which is ridiculous because they're Asian. (laughs) They walked over from a land bridge that's submerged now, you know, 15,000 years ago, but the religion is based on that. The world is only 6,000 years old. So anyway, that yeah. was one thing. And my mind just blew right open. And I immediately left and I got off the phone and I said, I wrote um, a friend who'd left the church four years before. I didn't really understand it until that moment. And so I went, oh, I understand what that was. Like, someone needs to know, don't let me back out of this. I'm terrified. I'm scared. I need to tell my husband, which was huge because you go to um, heaven as a couple so mm-hmm. it's had ramifications. So, so Natalie, are you saying, let me just make sure I understand this. So are you saying when you asked her, why did you leave the church? You were asking a question that most people in your position would not have had the courage or even the, the perspective to ask. Is that right? Thank you. Yeah. For clarifying. I will let you get a word in edgewise. No, no, no. I want to make sure I understand because, so my question, mm-hmm. one of my questions is, why do you think you were ready to ask that question 
And mm. then are you saying that her answer was the first time you'd ever heard that, that actual historical answer? Oh my God, such great questions. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Correct. Mm -hmm. There's. I didn't even know Joseph Smith married multiple wives. I knew Brigham Young, the second prophet did, but I didn't know Joseph did. There was mm -hmm. so much that I didn't know because, you know, it's hard to say the C word. Do you know the word I mean? Oh, there's two really bad C words. <laughs> Wait, is it bad in general or bad because of what we're talking about? Cult. Oh, it's, yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's tricky. For uh, something, I, I find it at least culty, if it's not a cult, for something like this to survive and perpetuate. Mm -hmm. There's a way in which, you know, as I've alluded, that the members are experiencing it that is very different to someone like you, who's a never Mormon, and mm -hmm. someone like me, who's an ex-Mormon, is experiencing mm -hmm. it. And a lot of that for how it feels is because there's a narrative that they lead and control. And mm -hmm. that's the narrative that you go by. And right. And so you really weren't getting any tidbits, no floating pieces of information mm -mm. permeated your childhood or mm -mm. even your mm -mm. young adulthood. It's very scary. It's very feared anti-Mormon literature, they call it. It's a very martyr kind of victim energy, if you or even like the victim archetype, if you're like into archetypes. Mm -hmm. Like it's there again, they lead that narrative of like anyone who says that is this, including me now, you know, I'm dangerous. Right. I'm bad. I'm right. other, I'm deceived, you know. So are you surprised that you asked that question back then? I am really surprised. I am really, really, really surprised. You ask me again, that kind of dovetails with answering your first question, which was why, why did I do it or how, or like, what was it about or what led it? There, I really have thought so much about that over the years. And I just really don't know. I, I, mm -hmm. Destiny, maybe it was just like, I was ripe. I was ready. I was, it was what needed to happen at that moment. I mean, an apostasy is an amazing teacher. Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing to, if you go on that journey and you are really willing to be honest with it and absorb the feelings that you were lied to, that you were manipulated, which I do feel mm -hmm. I was. And I was. I don't just feel I was. Mm -hmm. um, you can really, really fast track some growth once you come out of the other side of that grief mm -hmm. into like uh, understanding how a little bit. It's a consciousness raiser, I guess, is the easiest way to encapsulate it. Like mm -hmm. it's you you will forever be changed for how you see people in the world and people's intentions. And, you know, it, it, it serves me in my life to understand as well, being so deeply in one mindset and so deeply in another. You understand confirmation bias on a whole different level because that's what keeps you there. And, you know, that moment was the moment that we, we confirmation bias obviously is, is this idea that we can't receive new information. We will discount it because our, our mind is a heat seeking missile for what we already know and believe. So what mm -hmm. is it, whether it's this or me or someone else that allowed me to allowed new information in that didn't conform to my beliefs? Mm -hmm. This is a topic. This is just, so popular with ex-Mormons, like why or how? I don't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for why anyone 
smart, otherwise smart, emotionally intelligent people stay and never see it this way. And really kind of simple, you know, uneducated on, on whatever fill in the blank people leave. I really haven't ever discovered like a through line of what it's about. But I know for me, I left for integrity because my integrity would not allow me to stay. And that is a very big step to take because you already had a a young family and Mm -hmm. it had been your whole life. So did you talk to your husband that very night or how did I I was completely shitting myself to do (laughs) it? I think in my mind, I took off my garments as well. Um, which I had worn for eight years, as I alluded to. They're the things that you wear under your clothes and they have a sacred significance and they have a sleeve and they go to your knees. So I had not seen my thighs in eight years. Mm. I had not felt the wind or sun on my shoulders really ever because in my household, we were preparing to wear the garments since I was 11. So Mm -hmm. I had some tank tops that I would wear with cardigans (laughs) and I just wore it without and I went and got my daughter up from school and just felt the wind and sun on my shoulders and marveled. And I looked at the school moms and went, oh my God, like, I'm not responsible to save you. Like, there's not something between us. I cannot tell you, like, the Mm. people at the checkout stand, just seeing them for the first time as like something I was a part of instead of something that I was separate from, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm having all of these like amazing highs but like terrified to have this conversation with my husband and we put the kids to bed and I had to tell him and I'm crying on his chest. And I think it's kind of common when one leaves and one doesn't to kind of have him have recognized what you were asking me about, about that former life and all those doubt. I remember him saying, I know you've had your doubts, but I just didn't think you were serious. I just didn't think it was going to get to this point. And he immediately, I think in my mind, within 24 hours, though, we both had a conversation like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Mm -hmm. We would not have gotten married under the thinking of like, if the church isn't true, we would have lived together and seen that we fought a lot and probably Mm -hmm. split up or we would have you know, we would have been able to explore our relationship without having to get married and then find out the whole thing. And we also said we wouldn't have gotten married as virgins. And we really regretted it. So he left. We had a really, really difficult year where I'm experiencing all of these highs, like, you know, the shoulders and stuff. There was, I'd never had coffee. I'd (laughs) never had alcohol. I went in to buy underwear for the first time in eight years that I could choose my own underwear. Mm-hmm. And I started crying. Mm. <laughs> the shopkeeper was like, uh, and I just wanted her to be like, what is this about? And we go, do you understand? Like I can choose my own underwear. And she was just like, oh, I'll, I'll be over here if you need me. <laughs> but um, I'm experiencing all of this alone because he's now sort of voiced and thrust into something he didn't, it wasn't his timing, you know, to confront this. Uh So it was, I dreamed that whole year that he would leave and he would see it my way and we'd be reconnected again. And then he did leave 11 months after me. And it honestly ruined everything. It didn't go how I thought it would, because you really saw that Mormonism and sharing our same values was the tie that binds. And with Mm. that tie loosed, we were 
strangers to each other and who we were becoming as our authentic selves, which is like the popular ex-Mormon parsing of of it. You're, you become your authentic self. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of intuitive, the thought of like all of a sudden, like I, I don't think I'd like changed and became somebody new. I think I became myself for the first time, like the unlearning, mm-hmm. like undoing and same with him. And so there is this part of you that's like rapidly changing, but there's a core of yourself that I think I'd still be totally recognizable to people who knew me back in the day. In fact, I went to my high school reunion this year and that was a really interesting, or last year, 20 year, that was a really interesting connecting experience to really honor those people who were such a part of my formative years and still honor that part of myself that will never change through all of these changes, right? How did they receive you at the reunion? Were they mostly Mormon? Totally mostly Mormon. And a lot of them remained Mormon. And it was such a trippy thing. I brought my kids, like my kids were like, how are all of those people the same age? You know, because some had aged well, some had not, some were stylish, some were not, you know. And I think, I think for the most part, there was some really, really interesting experiences of it and really connecting experiences. And there were a few people who'd left, but it's kind of funny, you know, I'm, I'm a little more worldly now that I've traveled all over the world and all those kind of things. And I don't need to apologize for that. That's who I am. But this is kind of like little middle America town where I could not even believe how many people had stayed there in Utah County and not even moved to Salt Lake. So I did get the Mm. feedback through the grapevine that I wore a black cocktail dress and this was a picnic, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. I did. And I wore like a cold shoulder top and shorts. So just the thought of like, I don't know, you you never know like what people are saying, what you're experiencing to your face and then how, you know, the universe is obviously a great hall of mirrors and you're going to threaten or trigger or mirror back to someone, something about themselves that they don't want to see or confront. And so it's not personal, but it is disconnecting because until you really are around people who are also their authentic selves, those kind of things are more prone to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm-hmm. And your husband, you're still living with him, right? You're still in the same home? Yeah. Our marriage lasted two years after I left. And so the first mm-hmm. year I was out and he was in and I'm exploring all of these new things by myself. And then the second year was pretty fun to explore some things together. One thing that we did explore was an open marriage because as I had said, we both regretted getting married as virgins and we felt like we needed to undo some of the damage or claim some of the freedoms to ourselves for these choices. So it was fun too. We didn't do much of it, but I really had so looked forward to drinking with him. And we got to do a little bit of that, not much before it like went to shit. But we, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we had an open marriage for like maybe the last, maybe eight months before we divorced, we experimented in that world. And I would have Friday nights and he would have Saturday nights and you could kind of do whatever you wanted. Wow. I know it was pretty wild. It was some of that, like it elicited a jealousy in me. And I needed that because I was kind of at that point, like you're a piece of shit and no one will ever want you again. And then you see someone does want them and you're like, wait a minute, is there something (laughs) I miss? Like, I was about to toss you in the trash, but maybe I, I need to take a second look. <laughs> I, I kind of understand how you rationalize that and how it seemed pretty logical that how do we know that we should stay together mm-hmm. when we never had a prior experience with anybody else and we should probably 
have a regular life for a minute before we can recommit. Is that kind of the thinking? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people arrive there. You know, I love Esther Perel's work and she's always talking about like never enter into open situations, non-monogamy with like trying to curb infidelity or all these reasons. Like, you know, she's there having these open conversations about the reality of monogamy and commitment. And so I really appreciate her work. And I think for me, like I wasn't, because a lot of people also too say, oh, it'll never work. Oh, it always ends in tears. It could have worked. And I know people that it has inside and outside of Mormonism all arriving to it for similar reasons. But mine was like, make my marriage real or break it. And I really was accepting of either conclusion. Mm -hmm like prove it to me that we belong together and we didn't just get here by falling into it under thinking that we don't even subscribe to anymore or break mm-hmm. it and that's fine so it elicited all of the feelings it elicited you know we in the same breath of like being so mad and jealous i ripped my own necklace off and threw it on the ground which i did do i also like I asked him a lot more than he asked me, but it was open. It wasn't don't ask, don't tell. It was like, yeah, if you want to ask. And I mean, it was like blow by blow. I would like make him dissect every nook and cranny of the experience. And these were just like two little idiots in their 30s bumbling around for these kind of experiences that people had in their teens that we didn't. And it was hysterical. It was I mean, I, maybe someday I will like publicly share some of the stories, but I just, I still, we did laugh our asses <laughs> off a little bit. I I think I did more laughing than he did because I asked more and his stories were so funny. I still think they're funny. And um, was it because of him like being like a deer in the headlights about all of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know I was too, like I met this guy and I knew I was going to, you know, we had been talking about this forever. I knew I was going to do it with him. And I just didn't know how to like groom the situation. Like, how do you act? Like, how does it actually happen? You just didn't know. Um, I have since found out it's extremely <laughs> easy, but at the time, like, <laughs> it's like totally unknown. I skipped this part of the story, which is so funny. Uh, we immediately felt this way, but I, I had actually, okay, so I left the church a year and a half before we started the open marriage thing. And two years before we got divorced and drink coffee three days later, alcohol 10 days later, you know, on the scandalous underwear (laughs) (laughs) immediately. We had been having this conversation all along and I came to him like three weeks in and I said, I want to date other people. So I had actually been open to it before and I posted a goddamn ad on Craigslist, which is hysterical, (laughs) like, I'm Mormon and I'm, or I just left Mormonism. I'm 29. I'm, you know, totally confused. Like maybe I'll sleep with you. Maybe oh not. Like, so funny. I know. Right. Isn't that not, I like bonkers. And I mean, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself because all of these things were scary. You know, the, the reality is they're kind of a funny anecdotal story now, but like in the moment, it's like, terrifying. Mm -hmm. I called him. I set up the date. He was in Brisbane on a trip. I got a babysitter for the kids. I'm driving into the city. I'm crying. Like, why am I doing this? But I can't not Mm -hmm. do it. And it's sort of a long story. It was, he was married too, but his wife didn't know he was there. That gave me like an insight into my marriage that I wasn't able to see without him saying that because it was like, oh, we are really great friends. Like we talk about everything and there's nothing that's off limits and we don't have secrets and 
that's interesting. I didn't really realize that that wasn't just the way marriage was. But I ultimately ended up not wanting to sleep with him or even kiss him. But we stayed and stayed and stayed and I didn't check my phone and I got back to the car park and my phone had blown up from my husband thinking I'd be done and I wasn't. So I'm like, oh, shit. And I dial him back and it goes straight to voicemail. So we both have this sleepless night of him thinking I'm doing it and me thinking he's retaliation doing it. And neither of us were. That's why part of the reason why we couldn't face it in earnest for another year and a half. But And your kids, how were they at this point? I'm assuming they understand about the open marriage, but what did they understand about their parents and about their religion at that point? Mm -hmm. My son was only three, so that was really easy. And my daughter was five. She had actually, a few weeks before this happened, I was tucking her into bed and she said, Mommy, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't feel like praying. Like worship is a foreign idea to me. I just, it doesn't resonate with me. That hysterical yeah. five-year-old. And I just said, okay, just maybe don't tell your dad. He was always more, you know, churchy and faithful than me in that mm-hmm. way. But we did tell him and he was fine with it. And so it was really natural as this event was happening. And I mean, these were kids already being raised all over the world. My daughter, as I said, had been born in Seoul, spent her first year there, second year in Taipei. They would go on to be in like Baptist school, uniting school, Catholic school. You know, they were exposed to so much that like it never even really affected them. I think they were just the right ages. But a lot of people do struggle with that if their kids were any Mm -hmm. older, as the story of the woman illustrates. But it's more odd for them now because we did stay in, we were in Melbourne, we moved back to Sydney and we were there for three years separated. We did separate, we couldn't divorce in Australia, but for all intents and purposes, divorced. And then we moved back here to Salt Lake City five years ago. So these kids like that with that kind of early years now here in Salt Lake with their ex-Mormon parents, it's kind of really interesting to see the church through their eyes and the culture. What made you decide to come back to Salt Lake? It's kind of, I don't know, I just make a joke because I got tricked into it and I'm a dumb shit, which is mostly true. I didn't know I was going to get divorced in a foreign country. I didn't know any of that was going to happen. I, I didn't know I was going to have these major life-changing events like that. And trying to piece my life back together in Sydney always felt like I would build something and I'd have to abandon it or I was never really going to get my life off the ground. I was ready to move home to America. I didn't know it would be Utah. (laughs) It's kind of a funny thing I've had to make peace with over and over. There's so many great things about here, but it is a little bit as like odd as you can intuit of someone who's lived in major world cities and, you know, five years in Australia as I lived in Australia for seven years, but five years out of the church where nothing had anything to do with anything. You're not butting up against like, are you Mormon? Are you ex-Mormon? Like, you wearing garments? Are you not wearing garments? It actually doesn't like impact me like upside the face all the time. Like nobody's rude or it's just more subtle things. Like, you know, if I'm in Salt Lake and that 40% of the people are Mormon, which makes it difficult to totally connect with them. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's hard to connect with the Mormon if you're a never Mormon and they're lovely. There's lovely people. And you know, amazing and unique in their own ways outside of their Mormonism. But like, they don't drink, they don't drink coffee, they don't swear, you know, I find it a little stifling to be Mm -hmm. with 
you know, people who aren't free in what they are doing. Are your parents and your sisters involved in your life or your kid's life? Yeah, they are. My family's really close. For me, like releasing my podcast this year, it's opened up a lot of conversations about this. I've known for years I would speak publicly about it, but it's so goddamn terrifying. But to just Mm -hmm. like put my... And so that's been between us even more than things already. But then to just Mm -hmm. do it and release it and really actually have it so well received by them. And each time you do a little bit more and say a little bit more, because really there's an energy coming from the church that like, you're supposed to be divorced from your memories and your narratives. They own the narrative about the church. And even when it collides with your life, you are divorced from it. They own it. It's theirs. And it's very, very weird. And I think people who have been through it will resonate with that. Maybe it sounds weird to people who haven't, but there's so many layers to it that then come into your family relationships, like a church that they really believe in and love that you Mm -hmm. don't feel that way about it and you see it very differently. It's really Mm -hmm. hard. It is really hard. And I think it would also be hard to be in Salt Lake in that environment where you're reminded about it, reminded of it a lot. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I don't mean to like ever have sour grapes, but I'm also not going to like pretend or say something is different than it is. Mm -hmm. There's pros and cons. There's good and bad. I try to keep focused. It's beautiful. It's clean. There's no traffic. You know, I try to live there, (laughs) but I'm also so many years of deluding myself and abandoning and deceiving myself. Like I won't do that. I'm committed to being self-aware and other aware Mm -hmm. and honest about the landscape. So, yeah. And so when you see your sisters and you see your parents, do they ask you to change your behavior at all so that you can fit in and mesh with the mm-hmm. family? I don't think they anyone ever explicitly asked me that, but it's weird how it like converges with your family culture and then their church culture, which is such a part of the family culture. Again, I don't think anybody asked me, but I just did it. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff that's also said with a wink. So I'm like in the culture now, but not of it. (laughs) And it's really made me wake up this year to a lot of like how the result of all of this was a lot of codependency. So I'm nascent in my journey of like undoing that and not being party to my own self abandonment. Mm -hmm. And so it's in flux, but I know early on, like, Ryan Muirhead is a famous photographer. I grew up with him. I remember just wanting to like get these family pictures right after I got out of the church and it was in summer. And so I wanted to wear a tank top. And then I just, I ended up just like canceling on him because I just wasn't ready to like give my parents and family something to hang on their wall that was so overtly, I'm out of the church. But I do that now. I've got some family pictures with my parents and family and sisters and they're all in their clothes that they wear with their values and I will show up and I'll wear what I want to wear. So that's something that, you know, you can, it's a journey, right? Like you initially feel these ways and then even that is its own lesson of like, no, I just won't be complicit in my own self abandonment or deception or, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not easy. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So have you ever had a moment of thinking, 
this was a lot of work and a lot of trouble? <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me that. That's funny. Uh, no, I haven't had a single regret for a second of it. I've been angry. I've been in grief. I've passed through all of the feelings and the valleys. I've mm -hmm. been resentful. I've been disappointed. The day I left the church and two days later, I told my family, which was way too quick. You really need to process it. It was to me like the bigger than my wedding day, bigger than the day I graduated college. And there were no balloons, no cake, mm -hmm. no celebrating, mm -hmm. just tears, just screaming, you know, mm -hmm. and my, they've apologized a lot for how we all dealt with that. And I hope there's like, get a therapist and have your family go if you're going to go through this journey and like get some help and some guidance so that you can not like we created a whole new set of traumas that for years we had to undo. And we're just doing that now because mm -hmm. I, I went into self-protection mode, honestly, but my husband at the time, like really missed the sense of community, really missed the hymns. I never missed any of that. I loved that. I'd never really been able to choose my friends. It was all just who was in my ward. And now I could meet someone that like actually connected with on a, a hobby that we both had or an interest that we could share. I'd never had that experience. So I was mostly just basking in everything, marveling at everything, grateful for everything, while at the same time knowing that nobody was celebrating this for me and that that was hurtful. Mm -hmm. And when did you start to create your podcast and become a coach? What is your life like now? Mm -hmm. I tried to start a podcast and talk about this four years ago and podcasting was just in a different <laughs> time. I made 10 episodes of a podcast called Escape the Narrative, stories of unlearning and transcendence. And it was all based on like the tie to this event, right? And I just couldn't release it. I just couldn't do it. It was just too personal. So I went and got a job in radio, which was the best thing I could have done because I was mentored and I had support. And they let me have my own radio show, which was about the human story of business building and entrepreneurship. But to me, Escape the Narrative and that radio show and my podcast now, which is Your Spin Out is Gorgeous, mm -hmm. is really all the same thing. Like our deepest levels of humanity and connection and resonance. And it's just the same idea, reborn, new package, revitalized, breathe new life into it. So Your Spin Out is Gorgeous is a podcast of about rock bottoms and low-key spin outs. And Obviously, what's so fun to talk about it is this is like, you can see where my passion for it comes from it. This event was so big and transformative. And then it led to my divorce, another spin out. And then it led to this place again, the open marriage. And that was a spin out. And then it, let me try over here. Let me try to get my career off the ground, crash and burn, you know, mm -hmm. and we just don't talk about it. We just talk about once I got my life together, right? Mm -hmm. Once I wrote the book, got the book deal, started the business, you know, and that's just not where we live. Mm -hmm. Do you think when you think about who you were as a teenager or even in your early twenties, married and in soul, what do you think that version of you would think about your life now? Oh my God, Renee, that's such a great question. And I do think about that a lot, especially right now, like I'm doing a lot of inner child stuff and reparenting myself and so I'm really in touch with that part of myself, hugging her, kissing her, telling her oh, she's great, healing some of those early experiences that none of us are exempt from. And I think 
I just sometimes smile. I just think she's there within me and we're both just laughing our butts off. That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Where can listeners find your podcast and any other of your work? Awesome. Thank you. So my website is natalieq.com and my, you can find my podcast there. It's called Your Spin Out. It's gorgeous. It's on every platform I think that you can find. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing some. If I am, let me know. Email if you look for it on a platform, you can't find it. Um, and then I voice guided meditations as well. I'm super excited about what I'm launching this week with some inner child stuff because that's been such a part of my healing. Some binaural beats. I just loaded sleep meditations. I want to do a yoga nidra meditation this week. So really excited. TikTok. Who's on TikTok? Do you do TikTok, Rooney? Oh, no. I had a viral TikTok yesterday. It's blowing oh my God! Today, I know I'm so excited to talk to you about. I'll tell week. my daughter because she's actually banned me from TikTok. No. But, <laughs> um, I'm so happy that you were able to speak with me. I love talking to you, and I think your story is so good to share. And I hope that it hits the ears of the people who need to hear it. You know? Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for your delicacy and generosity in exploring it with me, and really hoping that it's, again, like not sour grapes, not here as an indictment on anyone, but that it gives voice to an experience that is true and real and can be so isolating and marginalizing. And I just want to give the biggest hug to anybody who resonates with it on any level for what they've experienced. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.